One of my uh, favorite parts of uh, being a pastor is the many opportunities I get to hear on a fairly regular basis uh, of some of the miraculous things God is doing in our world today. Friends, do you know that God is still in the miracle business? Uh, He is. He is still performing miracles all the time. In fact, uh, just uh, two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to have lunch uh, with a very close friend of mine, uh, Pastor Mark Henry. Uh, He's the pastor of Revive Church, one of our evangelical free churches in Brooklyn Park. And uh, he was sharing with me this really incredible story. Uh, Their church is in a very diverse community there in Brooklyn Park. And he's been praying for the last few years uh, for some inroads into the African community uh, that has been moving more and more into that area. Uh, and in particular, the Somalian community that is, uh, that is growing in his, uh, in his area. And so he's been praying about that regularly. Well, uh, three weeks ago, he had a Somali woman show up at their church and, uh, he had noticed her, uh, you know, during the service while he was preaching. And, and afterwards, uh, she came up to him and, uh, and started talking with him. And he started asking, you know, well, you know, it's great to have you here. What brings you to our church this morning? And, uh, and she said, well, you know, it's a very strange thing. Uh, she says, I, I, I'm from a Muslim family, uh, and God gave me a dream recently uh, that I was supposed to come to your church. And uh, my friend Mark, he said, wow, that's really fascinating. And, uh, and, she, and he said, can you tell me more about this dream? And so uh, this woman went on, and she said, well, you know, I, the dream was really strange because in the dream... Uh, a white man came up to me and he brought me a book and on the cover of this book said, Holy Bible. And, uh, and Mark said, wow, that's amazing. And, and she said, I know, and I don't understand this dream. I don't know why I had this dream, but I just knew that God was leading me to come and, uh, and visit your church. And, uh, and so Mark uh, talked with her further and found out that her husband was a devout Muslim. And he had, uh, when she told him this dream, he had discouraged her. You know, look, at you're not going to that church. You're not ever going to read the Bible. Uh, we're Muslims. We have nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, I forbid you to have anything to do with this. But she was just so compelled by this dream that she had had that uh, she took it upon herself to step out in this act of bravery and go and visit this church. Well, it was very interesting uh, as they were speaking, uh, Mark felt the Holy Spirit prompt him and, and he said, would you just wait for me for a moment? And, uh, and she stood there in the foyer and he went back into the sanctuary and uh, he came back out and he had one of their pew Bibles, a lot like ours, uh, and he handed her this Bible and on the cover of their pew Bibles it says, Holy Bible. And this woman started tearing up and, and tears flowing down her cheeks. She says, this is what I saw in my dream. And, uh, and God has now opened this door to minister to this woman and to her family and to her wider community. And uh, it's just this incredible thing that began with my friend praying for an open door and then God doing this miraculous work by bringing this woman uh, a dream of a man who was going to give her the Holy Bible. Friends, I, I tell you the truth this morning. God is still doing miracles today. I think he does far more miracles today uh, than we often even realize or, or see or, or understand. But, uh, but you've got to know that the sovereign Lord of the universe is very much still in the miracle business. 
This morning, as we turn to the book of Philippians once again, Philippians 1, chapter 12 through 18, we're going to see a really powerful section of Paul's letter to the Philippians where Paul himself had experienced some really incredible miracles. Uh, and what's special about this passage is that the miracles that Paul experienced here in his, his letter to the Philippians that he shares with the Philippian church, these miracles are miracles that every single one of us here this morning can also experience in our lives. How many of you would like to see God do miracles in your life or through your life? I think we all would like that, right? Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Paul is going to talk about three miracles that are possible for every single one of us here to experience. In fact, I will tell you this morning, you can bank on these miracles being realities in your life. If you'll follow Paul's example, which we're going to see this morning, putting Jesus Christ first in your life above all things, I promise you, friends, you can take these miracles to the bank. God will do these things uh, in your life as well. Well, we're in Philippians chapter 1 today, verses 12 through 18. Again, just a review of the background of this letter. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. It was the very first church in Europe. Philippi is a city in northeastern Greece. Paul had planted this church about 10 years earlier before writing this letter. And uh, these Philippian Christians were dear friends of the Apostle Paul. They were some of his most faithful partners in the gospel. Well, 10 years had passed. Paul has been arrested. He's now in Rome. He's spending uh, about two years in prison and imprisonment under house arrest, constantly guarded 24 hours a day. And his friends in Philippi are obviously concerned about Paul. So they sent a messenger from Philippi, a man named Epaphroditus, to deliver a message to Paul, to encourage Paul, to bring financial gifts to Paul, to help him there in prison. And, uh, and Paul, out of his love for the Philippians, wants to reply to their generosity and kindness and reassure them that he's okay, but also encourage them and inspire them in their ongoing commitment to Jesus Christ. And so that's where we pick up in our letter. Paul is continuing this word of encouragement and exhortation to his dear friends in the city of Philippi. Starting in verse 12 this morning of chapter 1, Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here in this passage is one of the most encouraging passages in the whole Bible. Paul reveals to us that he had experienced three miracles as a result of his imprisonment. These are miracles that we too can experience in our walk with the Lord, friends. In fact, I'm so confident that I'm going to tell you, you can take these miracles to the bank. If you'll put Jesus Christ first in your life, if he is your priority, 
you too can experience these miracles. What were these miracles that the Apostle Paul shares here with the church in Philippi to encourage them, to challenge them, to inspire them? What are these miracles that we can be encouraged and challenged by in our own faith today? Number one, Paul tells the Philippians here that God will turn your obstacles into opportunities. The first miracle you can expect in your life, friends, if you put Jesus first above all things, is God will turn your obstacles into opportunities. Here the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He is literally under arrest. He's been guarded by Roman imperial guards 24 hours a day for a period of about two years. And Paul says here in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul says that his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. Now, this wasn't Paul's goal to wind up in Roman prison for two years. Paul had a goal of continuing to travel the world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had a dream of going to the ends of the known world, to the nation of Spain, to proclaim the gospel to the farthest ends of the earth. And yet Paul, visiting Jerusalem, was falsely accused of slander against the emperor. He was arrested, he was tried, he was beaten and flogged. He was put on a ship to stand trial in Rome. The ship went through a shipwreck and Paul was stranded. Once they were rescued, he gets put on another prison ship headed for Rome. Now he finds himself in Rome under 24-hour guard, under house arrest, waiting trial, a trial that very likely was going to end with his head being chopped off. And Paul says to his friends in Philippi, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The word advance that Paul uses here in the Greek, it's an interesting word. The word is prokope, prokope. And in the Greek, this word has the connotation of to progress or develop or to make gradual gains. It's a word that would be used uh, to, to refer to pioneers blazing a trail where no path existed. Uh, I've been reading a book recently called The Pioneers, written by one of America's great historians, David McCullough. It's about the, it's about the settlement of the Northwest Territory, the region of Ohio uh, in the 1800s. And it's very interesting reading the stories of these early pioneers who, who traveled from New England across the mountains into the Ohio Territory. They literally had to blaze a trail. Long, hard, painful work. Some days it would take them and uh, they, they would spend 24 hours or weeks at a time just going a mile, two miles, three miles, blazing a trail, creating a path through the mountains and the woods so that others could follow behind them. It was hard work. It was difficult work. But they were advancing. They were making progress. And Paul here has this same image in mind when he says that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. No, it wasn't easy. It wasn't what Paul desired. It wasn't what he believed or hoped was going to happen in his life. But he found himself in prison in Rome. But because he had his eyes on Christ, he began to see that God was using these obstacles in his life for special divine opportunities. Paul saw himself as a pioneer blazing a trail for the gospel. Paul says in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. 
and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. As Paul was there in Rome under house arrest, he would have been guarded 24 hours a day by the emperor's elite hand-picked guard, the imperial guard. Some of your Bibles may refer to this guard as the praetorian guard. The, these were the emperor's personal hand-picked guards. And, and one of the tasks of these guards was to guard imperial prisoners. And so Paul took it upon himself under this opportunity, being guarded 24 hours a day with guards regularly being rotated in and out of his house. He said, look it, if I'm stuck here and I don't have the freedom to go about Rome proclaiming the gospel, well, you know what? If they're going to keep rotating guards into my house, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel to these guys. And so Paul every day had a captive audience to share the gospel with. And we know, friends, that many of these guards became followers of Jesus. These imperial guards then took the message of the gospel with them into the very heart of the Roman Empire, into the emperor's own household. They had access to take the gospel where no other believer would have been able to go. See, God was using Paul's obstacles for divine opportunities. God had a plan even in Paul's imprisonment. We know that these imperial guards took the gospel into the emperor's home because look at at the end of the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4, 21 through 22, Paul, in his closing statement in this letter, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Some of Caesar's own household had become Christians, very likely because of the influence of Paul on these imperial guards. Friends, can you imagine the Philippian surprise at reading that sentence? Some of Caesar's own household had become followers of Jesus. Friends, do you understand that the emperor at this time was the most notorious emperor in Roman history, a man by the name of Nero, a psychotic madman? He literally burned down the whole city of Rome, blamed it on the Christians. This was a brutal, just horrific guy. And the Philippians are reading here that God had brought the gospel into Nero's household. See, because of Paul's faith, because of his priority of putting Jesus first, God turned his trials into triumphs. And friends, we all can experience that very same miracle in our lives. When we put Jesus first, he will take your obstacles and turn them into his opportunities. He will take your trials and turn them into his triumphs. This is what God does when we keep our eyes focused on him and we prioritize the gospel. I read a story recently about a famous uh, church plant leader in China. His, his name is Uncle Z. That's his, his nickname that the Chinese use for him. Uncle Z has uh, been one of the key leaders in the house church movement in China for over 20 years. He recently was released from a seven-year imprisonment in one of China's most notorious prisons, a prison that houses 5,000 inmates. It's like a, a small city. And Uncle Z, during this time of imprisonment, had an amazing experience. Christians all over the world were praying for Uncle Z writing him letters while he was in prison. Thousands more wrote letters on his behalf to the Chinese government imploring them to release Uncle Z. 
When Uncle Z was recently released from prison, he met with a representative of Voice of the Martyrs, an organization that works with persecuted Christians around the world. And Uncle Z said to this representative of Voice of the Martyrs, he said, I just want to thank you and all the Christians around the world who are so faithfully praying for me and sending me letters encouraging me. I want to thank them for imploring the Chinese government to release me. But then Uncle Z said something truly remarkable. He said, but I'm glad you failed. I'm glad you failed. Seven years in one of the most notorious Chinese prisons. And he says, I'm glad you failed in your attempts to free me early. Why was he glad that these efforts failed? Because Uncle Z, during his time in this prison, had the opportunity to share the gospel with every single prisoner in that detention facility. Over 5,000 men had the chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, in this notorious Chinese prison, there is a church that continues to meet, led fully by Chinese prisoners, because God used Uncle Z in his focus on Jesus Christ. He took his obstacles and used them for divine opportunities. See, friends, I'm telling you this morning, if you want to experience miracles in your life, one surefire way to do so is by taking your eyes off of me and turning them to he. When Jesus is our priority in life, when Jesus is the focus of our life, God can use any circumstances for his purposes and for his glory. This past week, in our staff meeting here at church, we, we regularly pray together in our staff meetings. Pastor Justin shared a, a prayer of praise with us this past Tuesday morning. You know, friends, our, our chains, our prisons are not always literal. Sometimes we go through trials and struggles and tribulations in this life, different from Uncle Z, different from the Apostle Paul, but we still experience the, the bonds of life in this fallen world. Pastor Justin shared a prayer of praise regarding his brother John. His brother John Otto just celebrated his 46th birthday. What was special about that is no one expected his brother John to still be alive today. See, for the last few years, John has been afflicted with ALS, a debilitating disease where you literally become a prisoner in your own body. For the last two years, Pastor Justin, his wife Crystal, other members of their family have taken turns watching John. He needs 24-hour supervision. He can't take care of himself in any way whatsoever anymore. Doctors didn't expect him to live this long. Pastor Justin spoke with pride about his brother John, how even in the midst of this great challenge, John has been faithful in sharing his hope in Jesus with everyone who comes to visit him especially his non-Christian friends. John makes sure that every single one of them has a chance to hear that Jesus is Lord, and he is sovereign, and he is good, and he is faithful. And he shared the gospel with countless people in the midst of this challenge. See, his eyes are on Christ, and as a result, his obstacles have become powerful opportunities used by God for his glory. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what obstacles are you facing today? What trials do you face in your life? And do you see those as divine opportunities 
where God can use you for his glory. I promise, friends, if you'll put Christ first, even in the midst of your obstacles, you will experience powerful miracles as God turns those obstacles into opportunities. The second miracle that we see here in Paul's passage to the Philippians this morning, number two, the second miracle you can bank on in your life, if you'll put Christ first, is that God will use times of confinement to bring his refinement. God will use times of confinement to bring his refinement. Take a look at what Paul says in verse 14. Paul says, not only has his imprisonment served to advance the gospel, but in verse 14 he says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Here Paul's talking about the other believers in Rome. Paul's in prison, he's under 24-hour guard, and yet the church in Rome has become emboldened by Paul's imprisonment, by his faithfulness in prison. The church outside has become more bold in their profession of faith, taking the gospel throughout the city of Rome, sharing it without fear. And see, friends, we need to understand as we look at this example that sometimes God puts us in difficult circumstances. Not only to refine us, as the book of James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because God uses the trials in our lives to refine us. But also, as we see in our passage this morning, sometimes the refinement that God does through our trials, it's not just about us. Sometimes the refinement God wants to do is in the lives of others. He wants to refine others through our trials and our example of faithfulness, putting Christ first in the midst of our confinement. Now, friends, this seems counterintuitive to us, right? I mean, how on earth are are the churches in Rome emboldened to share their faith when the leader, Paul, is in prison, right? You'd think they'd be running and hiding themselves. But understand, throughout history, some of the gospel's most powerful movements around the world have come as the result of God's people living boldly in the face of opposition. God uses the faithfulness of men and women standing for the gospel in the face of persecution to inspire and encourage other believers to live more boldly for the cause of Christ. This past week I was reading in Christianity Today magazine a story of a Nigerian pastor named Lawan Andimi. He was kidnapped last month by the Muslim terrorist group Boko Haram. Pastor Andimi was forced to make a video begging the Nigerian government to release him. And so Pastor Andimi made a video where he implored the Nigerian government to pay the ransom demands and to release him. But then Pastor Andimi took the opportunity in this video to share his confidence in Jesus Christ. In this video, he says, even if I am not released... Even if I should go to my death, I know the one who is in control of all of these circumstances, and I know that he is alive today. And so I do not fear. What a powerful testimony of faithfulness. And friends, what's interesting is God is using Pastor Andimi's witness 
to encourage and embolden the church in Nigeria, the most populous country in Africa, divided between Christians and Muslims. And the Christian community over the last decade has been under severe persecution by Boko Haram and other Muslim organizations. And people like Pastor Ndimi are inspiring the church to live more boldly, to live more faithfully for the cause of the gospel. It was very interesting as I read this article, it referenced a young girl, 15-year-old girl named Leah Sharibu, who was actually one who inspired Pastor Ndimi in his faithfulness for the Lord. Leah Sharibu was kidnapped two years ago by Boko Haram with a group of over a 100 other girls from her school. Boko Haram, in their, in their agreement with the government to release these girls, said that if they would renounce their faith in Jesus, they could be released and freed. Leah refused to renounce her faith in Jesus. So while some of her friends were released, she remains in captivity. Other prisoners of Boko Haram who have been released over the last two years have recounted stories of Leah in imprisonment having testified that Boko Haram has given her many opportunities to go free if she'll renounce Jesus and convert to Islam. And she has repeatedly declared, I am a Christian. I will never renounce Jesus Christ. This 15-year-old girl has become an inspiration to the church in Nigeria. Thousands of Christians throughout Nigeria today look to her as an example of faithfulness in the midst of severe trials. And it's emboldened them and encouraged them to live more faithfully for Jesus Christ. It's very interesting after hearing these testimonies this past week as I was studying one of the commentaries on the book of Philippians written by a man named Steve Lawson. He wrote this in his commentary. He says, One believer on fire for God can embolden thousands with new courage to bear witness for Christ. One man or woman lit up for God has the capacity to put steel in the backbone of countless believers. Friends, what an inspiration to see a young girl, to see a faithful pastor standing boldly for the cause of Christ in the face of torture and abuse and the threat of death. Their examples have inspired countless others to live more faithfully for Jesus Christ. One individual. Maybe God will use you to be that one. In your high school campus, on your college campus, in your workplace. All it takes is one bold Christian to stand for the cause of Christ, to put steel in the backbone of countless believers. You know, friends, this is one of the reasons why I love our missionaries here at Lakes Free Church. One of the great privileges I have of being a pastor here is the opportunity to hear the stories of our missionaries at Lakes Free who are serving the Lord around the world, putting themselves on the front lines of the spiritual warfare, serving Christ in very difficult circumstances. I think of people like the the Pino family down in Panama in a remote island area of Panama. Just this past week, Somebody broke into their house, stole their safe with, a th- with over $11,000 in it, all their passports, all their credit cards. They live under severe spiritual warfare on a daily basis, but stand bold for the cause of Christ. I think of young ladies that we support, like Aaron Hawkinson, serving the Lord in Tanzania, 
in a Muslim area, in an area rife with demonism and spiritual warfare. She's left her family behind to go and serve the Lord for the cause of Christ. I think of other young ladies we support, like Carrie Gustafson, doing the same in, in the nation of Thailand. I think of the numerous missionaries we support today in closed countries or restricted countries, missionaries I can't name for their own safety. And yet they go and they serve because they believe that Jesus is king and people need to hear the good news of the gospel. Now, none of these friends would say this, but friends, these people are true heroes of the faith. They wouldn't consider that for themselves, but but they inspire me. They inspire me each and every day to live more faithfully for the cause of Jesus Christ. But understand this, friends, it's not just in the area of our gospel witness that testimonies of faithfulness can refine us. We, We can also be refined in our trust and confidence in God's sovereign goodness. Like I said earlier, sometimes our, our confinement, our imprisonment isn't literal chains. Sometimes God allows us to go through other trials. And he uses those trials to refine other believers with a greater confidence in God's sovereign goodness and faithfulness. I remember five years ago when my wife was going through her year-long battle with stage 3 breast cancer. It was just a terrible year for our family. It was a brutal time. Two surgeries, months of chemotherapy, months of radiation, months of rehab. I mean, it was a year-long ordeal. And I remember there were many days where we said, Why, Lord? Why us? But you know something? It was faithful friends here at church who inspired us and helped refine us through their testimony of faithfulness. I think of people like Sharon Peterson and Peter Wilson and and many others who, who had fought that battle themselves and had done so with faithfulness and, and confidence in the Lord. And it was their testimony that God used to refine us and give us greater courage and hope in the confidence that God was going to be good and faithful to us too. And you know what? In the subsequent years since then, God has used our experience to help refine many others who are going through a very similar similar battle. See, friends, this is the miracle of refinement. When God's people keep their eyes on Christ and put him first, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, God can use this simple act of faith in powerful ways to refine the lives of others. That's a miracle you can take to the bank, friends. But you got to keep Jesus first. The third miracle that we see here in our passage this morning, the third miracle that you too can take to the bank if you will put Christ first, is that God will trade your concern for a claim with a desire for his fame. God will trade your concern for a claim with a desire for his fame. Take a look at verses 15 through 18 if you've got your Bibles. Paul goes on and he says to the Philippians, Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that 
I rejoice. What's going on here, friends? Well, understand this. Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. The church in Rome existed before Paul got to Rome. The church in Rome was probably founded by believers who experienced that miraculous day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, who then went back to Rome and planted the seeds of the gospel, founded a church there. The church had been in existence before the time of Paul. But what had happened was, is now Paul, this great apostle, this well-known missionary, this amazing miracle worker, the man who had done more than anything for the cause of the gospel, now all of a sudden Paul shows up in Rome, and some of these other bigwigs in Rome, these, these bigwig pastors in Rome, were threatened by the new big dog in town. They were envious of the apostle Paul. They were jealous of the apostle Paul. And so they started speaking against Paul and against his ministry. These were brothers in Christ. These were Christians. They were not false prophets or false teachers. These were Christians proclaiming the gospel, but they were envious of Paul. And so they were actually rejoicing in Paul's imprisonment, using it as an opportunity to slander Paul and discredit Paul for their own personal glory. It's very interesting. The fact that we don't know much about the background of what was going on here is really a testament to the work of God in Paul's life. It's a testament to to what God had done in transforming Paul himself. See, Paul was a living example of, of the prayer we prayed last week. Paul was an example of one who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was abounding in love, pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And Paul's utmost priority in life was living for Jesus Christ in the advancement of the gospel. And so even in the face of envious slander from fellow brothers in Christ, Paul rejoiced that the message of the cross was being proclaimed in Rome. You see, Paul wasn't concerned about his acclaim. He was simply concerned with Jesus' fame. And so even though these brothers who were envious and slandering him had impure motivations, they were still brothers in Christ proclaiming the gospel. And for that, Paul rejoiced. Now, friends, please understand, Paul wasn't excusing the envy and twisted motivations of these other ministers of the gospel. Paul understood that envy within the body of Christ is one of Satan's most subtle and deceitful schemes to diminish the power and testimony of the gospel in our lives and in our witness to the world. Friends, this kind of envy has no place in the body of Christ. And this temptation to envy isn't just a concern when it comes to to large churches and big ministries or famous pastors. We all can fall prey to this temptation in our own lives in service to the Lord if we're not careful. I remember this last year, for example, Pastor Rick and I were at a conference in Boulder, Colorado, Team 500 conference. It was uh, 50 free church pastors from around the country who all pastor churches of 500 people or larger. And we were together for two days, and it was kind of like a brainstorming session, a mutual encouragement session. We were uh, sharing ideas of what God was doing in our churches. One of the questions that came up is, how do you assimilate new people in your church? And as we were going around the room sharing, Pastor Rick uh, came to him and he said, well, one of the things we've developed at Lakes Free is we came up with the idea to start this, this idea called Pizza with the Pastors. 
It's a way that we welcome new people into the church. And as Pastor Rick is sharing all this, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, what's all this we stuff? We? You see, in my fallenness, in my, in my human pride, I'm thinking, we didn't start anything. That was my idea. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, friends, right then and there, the Holy Spirit just pricked my conscience. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Jason, are you in this for your glory or for my glory? And God used that to convict me. And, and I repented right there in the quiet of my heart. I said, Lord, forgive me. And I'll tell you something. Once I got my priorities realigned, God used that to free me to rejoice and thank God for how he was using this ministry in our church. How about you this morning, friends? Have you ever struggled with this kind of envy? Maybe there's another Awana leader who's more popular with the kids than you are. Maybe you've worked hard behind the scenes for a program here at church or stayed late afterwards to clean up and you don't feel like you've ever got the thanks you really deserved. Maybe you've been serving people outside the church, visiting seniors who are, who are shut-ins or visiting prisoners in the local jail or, or visiting people sick in the hospital and it seems like everyone else's service gets recognized but yours. Friends, if you've ever wrestled with these kinds of thoughts, I want to encourage you today to look to Paul's example in Philippians. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let the cause of the gospel be your first priority. And then ask the Lord for the grace to put your concern for a claim second to the desire for his fame. And I promise you, friends, God will answer that prayer. You can bank on it. I'll tell you again this morning, if you want to experience the greatest miracle of all, put Jesus first in your life. You do that, I promise you, watch him destroy that root of envy in your heart. And then you too can say with the Apostle Paul, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Three miracles you can take to the bank when you put Christ first in your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his testimony of faithfulness in the midst of these trials. We thank you for how you used his faithfulness to advance the gospel and to refine your church and to grow your fame in Rome, and for the last 2,000 years. Lord, we pray that we would experience these same miracles in our lives. I pray, Lord, that our people here at Lakes Free would put you first above all things, and that in doing so, they too would see these miracles at work through them, turning our obstacles into your opportunities, using our confinement for the refinement of other believers for their encouragement. Lord, trading our envy for your acclaim. Lord, that's what we desire. And so, Lord, I thank you for Paul, and I thank you for his testimony, and I pray that your word would encourage us in these three areas today. In Jesus' name, amen.